What's up, everyone? This week on the pod, we got a lot of stuff for you. Starting it out, we're going to bring on Chris and Eddie from Powerhouse. We're going to talk about the new record, Renegades. Then I'm going to break down a bunch of beats and parts of hardcore songs and hopefully not embarrass myself too much. But it's a starter kit on different hardcore parts. That's pretty wild. Then we're bringing on Patrick Kitzel from Reaper Records. He's going to present us his top 10 California punk and hardcore LPs. We're going to talk about those. Then we're going to put the Trapped Under Ice LPs head-to-head, the first two. You know, we're going to get that. That'll be me, Dan, and him talking about that. Then we're breaking down the Maximum Penalty 1989 demo. Just want to say one last thing before we get started. You guys all got to check out that new Robert Gade record. That thing is insane. It's called Aggressive City. It started streaming, I believe, last Friday. And it is so good. Like, it is... It's got this wild, raw sound, but the production is so bright and good. And it's like, so a little bit of the sloppiness is in there to like keep it buck, but it just sounds so big and awesome. This record is absolutely amazing. Once again, Rob Brigade, Rob Brigade Aggressive City. Check it out. It's on all the streaming platforms. And uh, I believe it's on Cash Money Records, which is the same label that did the Kulu LP. I don't know what's up with that, but Google it. You'll be able to find it to order it. Support the band because <laughs> this shit rips, dude. And let's get on with the pod. 185milesouth.com Smash that Patreon button. One hundred and eighty-five miles south, a hardcore punk rock podcast. All right, what's up, everyone? This week, starting out the pod, we got Eddie and Chris from Powerhouse. What's up, guys? What's going on? on, Zach, dude. So Renegades just came out. The uh, the new 12-inch from Powerhouse came out on Pitchfork. Everyone can get it at allinmerch.com. They got it there for you U.S. folks. And then in Europe, you can get it through Cortex Records. Did I get that right, guys? Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. All right, perfect. So yeah, how's, how's I think you ahead. might still be able to purchase it through um, to Pitchfork directly, too, I think. I, I could be wrong on that. But I, I think they probably have some that they'll sell through the Pitchfork site as well. Cool. And, uh, I think Upstate Records and well, and Merch is sending everything out. So you know what? Uh, that's the one to go to. I, I think I think they're both going through Olin Merch still. So that's that is actually the spot to go. Yeah, when you Google it, that's the first thing that comes up. So that's easy for everyone. But uh, let's talk about it, Eddie. I haven't talked to you about the record yet. So how excited are you for this thing? Yo, I'm pumped up, man. Uh, actually, I realized it today because I was, I was coming back from uh, Doug's house. Uh, uh, we partied over there last night. <clears throat> for his kid's birthday and i was coming back and i was like holy shit we're about to do another show and with a new record so you know it, it got me juiced up got me super juiced yeah this is Aaron tomorrow so you got your, the record releases coming up this uh this coming weekend is that right correct yep saturday the yeah. 25th yeah. it's early show starts at four give all the details chris yeah so it's going to be at a place called uh crybaby in oakland it's downtown oakland it is what used to be the old uptown uh it's a cool room um, we have a couple of older bands as well, uh, Sworn Vengeance and Low Life, both bands that we 
played with in the, uh, the, you know, late nineties, early two thousands. Um, and along with forced to suffer, which is one of the newer bands out here making noise. I think they share members with, uh, well, they share members with Eddie, these streets, right? Do I got that right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, so we're looking forward to it. Um, it's going to be a cool show. Uh, it's an early show starts at four. It's over by 8 PM, but then there's also an after party, uh, in, uh, in Oakland over by Lake Merritt over a place called baggies, baggies by the lake. So, um, yeah, it should be a good time. You know, uh, uh, pre-sales are uh, available still 18 bucks, uh, 20 bucks at the door day of show. There are tickets. So how's the feedback? How's the feedback on this album been with like your immediate friend group? Is everyone stoked? Yeah. Yeah. I, yes. Yeah. Yeah. See, it's, 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 it's Yes, I remember playing it for you know playing some of the stuff unfinished for someone a while ago, and they've known us a long time and played uh, their bands played with us and stuff. And they're like, "Wow, you know, this is um, we knew it would be good, but we didn't think it would be this good." That was that was their response at the time, which is pretty big. And since then, everybody's response is just you know nothing but positive so far, and that's, that's, yeah. that's a good feeling, man. You know? Yeah. How you feel about it, Eddie? Oh man, it's amazing, dude. All the positive feedback from it, just you know. From from the just from the Instagram page, uh, it's all been positive. I've been sharing it like on the stories and from people, and then you know people that have listened to it close by or close to us, they're just like, "What an amazing record!" Like, totally not what we expected, and and it just blew them away. That rules. It's a great feeling. I'm, I'm like, wow. I mean, you know, we, we put some work in there. You know. Yeah, yeah. yeah Facts. We did. We did put some work in there. I think a lot of people. You know, you just kind of you, you don't know what to expect when a band's been going as long as we've been going. You know. Yeah, that kind of leads into something I want to ask you guys. Eddie, we'll go to you first. Uh, do you consider this uh, a follow-up to what lies ahead, or do you kind of consider it a fresh start? Man, I, th- I feel like it's a fresh start because, uh, uh, you know, it's there was a big gap in between. Um, and then, you know, we started trying to write shit right before the pandemic, and and that kind of felt like it set us back a little bit, but, you know, we were just like, it's just a pause, but but that gap, that gap was just a, a huge void and, you know, we're like, Hey, let's, let's come back strong. And it's, it's just going to be a refresh, a refresher course, hopefully for us. And, you know, uh, we all clicked and it, it feels good. And yeah, it's definitely a new start, man. How do you feel about that, Chris? Yeah, I agree. It's definitely a fresh start. You know, um, uh, in ways I also feel like we, we picked up where we left off too. It is, it is a fresh start. It's a clean slate, you know, because it has been so long. But at the same time, you know, being that it's, uh, uh, you know, Eddie and me and, and Walter and Abe, you know, all guys that have been in the band previously, you know, the chemistry is still there. Um, you know, the friendships are, have always been intact this whole time. You know, we've always all stayed in, in contact. So in a lot of ways, it feels like, you know, we're, we're kind of, you know, I, it's definitely not, it's not the follow up to what lies ahead, but, but we are picking up where we left off. I feel like, because I still feel like it's powerhouse to me. It sounds like what powerhouse would be, you know? Yeah. What's wild to me is it, it seems like it's almost musically. It would fit in between the two, right? Like it would almost fit perfectly between no regrets and what lies ahead. Yeah. Yeah. Well, kind of, yes, because I kept going back and listening to no regrets to kind of, so here's the thing. Ernie wrote a lot of no regrets. Ernie and Eddie wrote a lot of no regrets and, uh, Ernie was definitely a person that was, we've, I think we've discussed this in the past, but Ernie's definitely a person that could write songs easily, you know, and he could write songs well. He was a great, phenomenal bass player, really. And, and 
So it was a big deal to be able to come back uh, with something that, um, you know, met the bar, you know, like that we could actually, you know, at least do what we had been, been doing previously. And, and so it seems like, uh, you know, and so for that, yeah, I was going back and listening to no regrets a lot, you know, just because it, it seemed like we needed to kind of take a step back in ways, you know, before we move forward again. And, uh, at least that, that's what was in my mind. I mean, it, whatever comes out, comes out when, you know, I, you know, I just start writing shit and when it comes out, that's just what it is. And, uh, you know, it's like, okay, well that's cool. You know, we'll see what we can do with that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's one of those things, man. Um, it, it is kind of in between the two, but I, I do feel like it, it kind of captures the best of both. For sure. And I just want to say everyone out there, this is a side note, but if you want more with Chris, you got to get in those 185 miles South archives. We sat down, did a long interview. Also, he did a great interview on the, this is hardcore podcast. Check that one out. He goes into his early days when he was getting buck in New Jersey. And then also, uh, Eddie, you sat down for a super long interview on the Neanderthal Society podcast. So if you want more of these guys, check it all out there. But uh, continuing on, um, yeah, what, what's next for Powerhouse, man? Go ahead, Eddie. Uh, well, we got the you know the record release show. Uh, we're going to hit up uh, Albany just before uh, This is Hardcore. So Friday night in Albany. This is hardcore Saturday uh, the ninth, and then uh, Boston in on the tenth. And after that, I don't think we have uh, anything set yet, but we're looking into September. Hopefully, some uh, uh, Sacramento, Reno, and then hopefully some somewhere L.A., San Diego, maybe. Yeah, um, we're, that's that's all in the making. On that, so. Yeah, that's all in the makings now. Uh, look, Casey is gone. He's he's out uh, teching. And we'll be on tour for August, so we, we lose him for a good part of the month. So, you know, and Abe has to travel in. Abe doesn't live in the state anymore. He, he lives in Texas. So, you know, we have to – we can't just grab shows every weekend. So we have to kind of be strategic in how we do stuff right now. But um, we do have um, a Bay Area show, uh, uh, a Reno show, and a Sacramento show for the end of September. And then along with that, yes, there will be – we're in the process of booking some SoCal shows along for that following weekend too. So it's, it's in the mix. Hey Eddie, on this album, were you, were you shocked? Like how deep Chris got on the lyrics? Like the lyrics are pretty spectacular. Yeah, bro. You know, writing them and then playing them, you know, uh, I practice, you don't really hear the vocals that well. Um, But once, once we recorded them that first time, I was just like, Whoa, 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 this shit is fucking heavy, bro. And you know, I was uh, it made made it made a lot of sense of like what he was going through and uh uh we, you know he was going through some heavy shit and so he put it down on paper and I was like whoa you know I, I was like oh my god this is fucking heavy as shit some of it like shocked me I was you know, I was like some of it was like hella good feeling like the back in the day one I was like yeah that feels good but like uh, Outlast is fucking brutal and I was like that's it's deep and dark and uh yeah but but I was like it fits man it's 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 what he felt, you know, that's what you're supposed to put down. Yeah. That outlast, those lyrics are daggers, man. That's wild. But I also just, it's been a minute. It's like, I love when hardcore bands write songs about hardcore. Cause I don't think that you always got to do the big picture thing. I think that hardcore is so much a part of our lives that it's okay to acknowledge that. Right. Like, I don't know why people want to shy away from it. And that, that song is like a great love letter to hardcore. Yeah, I man. think the lyrics are amazing. How how you feel about that, Chris? Uh, well, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, so we all know it. I mean, we've listened to plenty of hardcore. There's there's 
a lot of times there's a, a lot of bravado in it, you know, and, 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 you know, I wrote that way in the past and that's all fine. And, and this time I actually just kind of felt like, yeah, you know what, I'm just going to put it out there. I, I was kind of, uh, maybe wrote more ambiguously in the past, but, um, this time I was just like, you know what? I got nothing to lose. I'm just going to, I'm just going to put it out there the way I did, you know? And, and yeah, it's been a minute. It was an apology, you know, just cause, uh, I wanted people to know that it wasn't like Eddie. It wasn't Walter. These guys were all ready to play. It was really on me, you know? And it was kind of like, I needed, I needed to let that be known. Like, yeah, that's my, that's my bad. Like, sorry, we were going for so long, you know, cause it's, it's been a minute, you know, uh, I, I'm sorry. We have been going for so long, you know, cause it's like, these guys don't have to be sorry for it. That was on me, you know. And and, and, and since we started doing it, I, I mean, dude, I'm psyched, you know. Yeah. Had you been working on like writing lines for years, or like did you write this stuff on the spot? Oh, so it's been a minute. It came pretty easy because I kind of knew in in ways that you know. I mean, Eddie came in with that song, and it was just like it just fucking ripped, dude. I was just like, oh shit. But um, I guess that was something that was on my mind at the time. And so that one wrote really quickly. Like we had that one, that, that one was easy. That one was really easy to write. And then, um, uh, around that time, you know, I started having that riff in my head for back in the day and I started working on that music. And then, uh, you know, like that kind of became a a thing that got, that that took like two and a half years to finally figure out what that song was going to do. And now we finally have it. And it's pretty, pretty awesome but when i first got that riff in my head i i, I knew that that was the song that was going to be about ernie because it just had that vibe to it and it was going to be kind of to 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 honor him in ways because that was what you know bringing the band back was for me was just a, a way of keeping him out there and uh uh the resistance that was a song that lyrically i had no idea what that song was but you know i'd come in with this thing in my head and i said to eddie hey can you play this blah 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 and then him and casey worked out a whole bunch of shit on that and then that song, I only had like the, the the drop part at the end. Eddie heard me say those lyrics probably a billion times before I finally figured out what to to write for the rest of that song. Um, you know, Outlast kind of wrote easy. That's about my mother. You know, that's, that's just like a song. Uh, you know, I, I kind of knew like, and that's funny too, because I, I could feel what the chorus was with the Outlast part. But then, you know, I kind of bounced things, ideas off with uh, Casey at the time. And say, hey, would you help me out? And he kind of went in some certain directions. And then I was like, uh, and, and then it all started coming to me. You know, a lot of these songs, we, we would go in and we would be practicing and I'd have little bits and pieces and not really knowing. And then I'd say, hey, Casey, I'm going to send you stuff. And then every time I tell him I'm going to do that, and I never did, but all this stuff would come kind of, you know, spilling out all of a sudden. It's almost like I put the pressure on myself by telling him I was going to do something, you know, but it worked. Yeah. And it worked. Eddie, the music on Stand By Me is pretty unorthodox for Powerhouse. What were the influences of that song? Like I was, I was having trouble narrowing it down. The closest I could get is like, it sounds like reason to believe kind of It's very like melodic Cali influence. Uh, I only tweaked a couple parts on it. Like just, uh, you know, some palm mutes here, some palm mutes there, but mainly that's a, that's a Chris came in with that riff and, oh, shit. and, and pretty much the whole structure. And, and I was just like, he's just like, Hey, this is the song. This is what I wrote. You know, put your touch on it. And that's what we did basically. But, uh, yeah, that was his idea. He What's that from then, Chris? The shower. That's what it's from. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was just having to be in the shower, and that part, that bam, 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 like that part came to me in, in the shower, and I was like, "Oh fuck!" And I jumped out and pulled out my guitar and started playing it, and then the rest of all just kind of 
fell into place after that. You know, that, that was actually an easy one to write. And once I had that one riff down, the rest of that kind of yeah. just fell together and it seemed like, Oh, that that's, that's cool. But I mean, yeah, Eddie, Eddie, Eddie and Casey will write the way harder shit, I guess. And then the, the more, the more melodic shit seems to be me, I guess. Yeah. That's a great song though. It's wild. It really yeah. stands out because it's just so unorthodox for powerhouse, but I still love it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's a bag of tricks, you know? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah. So everyone, this stuff came out last, uh, last Friday, Renegades, the 12 inch, six songs, powerhouse, one of the best to ever do it out of Northern California. You got to check it out. It's on all the streaming platforms and look it up. It's under powerhouse OBHC. So you find it. Cause there's a million different, like, I don't know. What is it like techno projects and shit you can get it mixed yeah. up with? Some techno, yeah. some rap, some there's like some, there's, like, there's like a church podcast. We're <laughs> <laughs> well, right on. It's easy to find with that powerhouse OBHC. And also Eddie, you got the band camp all rigged up. So it's like for the powerhouse super fans out there, they can dig into the demos and all sorts of stuff. Huh? For sure. Demos, some comps. I'm adding, I'm adding stuff uh, periodically in there so that, so that, you know, we just keep it updated with, more more compilations that we we were on and and uh, uh eventually you know I'll, I'll put uh what lies ahead up on on spotify all the all the platforms later uh right now we're just focusing on the record but periodically i'll update it with with uh some random shit that i find you know some basement tapes or something just so people could hear the shit the crappy stuff we were writing and the good stuff we were writing all that stuff so it's it's a really good platform i like it yeah, I love that it's all out there. Eddie, final thoughts. I can't I can't wait to uh I can't wait to, you know, play and see see some old friends from from the earlier days and and some new friends, man, that we're making along the way. And it's the only reason we're doing it. We're doing it to keep, you know, Ernie's memory alive and then to 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 hang out with our friends, man. Because it's 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 some of the best times of our lives. Yeah, before I go to Chris for final thoughts, I just want to say one last thing, which is, you know, you know, a lot of the advertising for this is like, oh, Powerhouse is back after X amount of time, but it's not like you guys ever left. You know, I mean, like Chris, the whole time you've been promoting shows, you've been going to shows, still supporting hardcore. Eddie, you're at like every show. You know, yeah, you I just know, went to Vegas, to like see Tsunami and shit. It's like, what a wild man, dude. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah, uh, yeah. I went to Hooligan Holiday because we were supposed to play, but it got canceled. And I was like, "I'm still gonna go." My girl was like, "We're we're going." And then, and then, uh, you know, we went to uh, Black and Blue Bowl last minute. We're just like, we're cooking on Thursday night, and she's like, "I, I was like, mm, maybe we should go to Black and Blue Bowl." And she's like, "I'll book a flight right now if you're serious." I was like, "Oh shit!" So I thought about it for a minute. I'm like, "Let's just fucking do it, man." You know? That's right. I mean, I, I just don't I want people. I don't want people that don't know you guys to think you guys mixed up and like you guys dropped out of the scene for a bunch of years. Like no, no, you're no, always no. there. It was just powerhouses on the back burner. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I couldn't. I could not play music, man. It, it was. It's my therapy and shit. You know, it's like it is for a lot of people, but for me, I really needed it. And I was, I was. You know, everybody has a life, and they go through shit. And music pretty much cures it for me, man. And so I was doing. You know, I, I did uh, resist control, uh, which transferred to uh massacre time and and then from that i went to guantanamo dogpile uh which is a cover band punk rock cover band and then from that i went to troublemaker so i was constantly playing as much as i could and then you know chris would always like hey you guys want to play a show you know through his through his powerhouse present stuff and i was like yeah i'll, I'll tell the guys and, you know he, he he would throw us some some stuff so we could play and put our stuff out there but but yeah i i, I always kind of wanted I, 
I, I needed to play, you know. And then as soon as Chris and Walter were like, yo, we're doing this shit t- together, you win. I was like, fuck yeah, 100%. Hell yeah. I'm, glad, I'm glad we're doing it. I love it. Chris, final thoughts. Shit. Well, uh, what do I say? I, I hope everybody has an opportunity to check out the record. We, we, I feel like we really, we, we put our best effort into this thing. And, uh, uh, I think it's something really good. And, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we humbly ask to be, uh, uh, welcome back into the hardcore scene. You know what I mean? This like, we've been going for so long, but we're excited to be back in it. We're excited to play with a lot of new bands. We're excited to play with some of the older guys still too. And uh, just look forward to uh, getting out there, man, and doing our thing and, and shit. I, I just like people like you, Zach, still in it, still doing it. I mean, shit, we've been seeing you for close to 30 years, man. It's just that I, that's one of those things I love about the hardcore scene, man. Is that like Eddie was saying, it's just like, you know, there's so many people that, you know, because it truly is a community. is isn't just like, Oh, you go out to a show. Cause you like a band. It, it, it's, it's a way of life. And, and for that, you end up seeing people all over the place all the time. And that's, it's a beautiful thing, man. And, and so, uh, you know, we appreciate your time and, um, we just, yeah, we look forward to getting out there and hoping to see a lot of people at some shows, man, and having a good time, you know? Hell yeah, dude. Powerhouse. One of my favorite bands of all time, the new record rips. Everyone check it, check it out. It's all on streaming. It's called renegades. Look it up. Powerhouse OBHC order that shit, handle business. And let's uh, convince them to do another one. You know, son, you're not a kid anymore. Oh, no. I go to shows. Dad, I already know all this stuff. Well, they don't teach you about everything. At shows. Okay, Mr. Smarty Bands. So just listen. When boys and girls get a little older, they start getting interested in punk and hardcore subgenres. Starter kit. What's up, everyone? I'm going to take you through a bunch of different pieces that make up punk and hardcore music, whether it's the beats, whether it's like the type of part, whatever. So that's this starter kit. What I want to do first is I want to start off with the basic fast beat. So this is called double time. Basically what it means is that the drummer is hitting the hi-hat every two times for one time on the snare. And he's doing like a variation of do that, do that, do that, do that, do that on the kick drum and snare. So the first example here is Stalling 13. The song is Sometime. All right, I wanted to give one more example of double time. This is Madball CTYC, and you're going to be able to hear everything really clear because the the recording is great. So you hear the kick drum, you hear everything really well. Here we go. All right, now I want to give an example of a fast cheat beat. So what this is is when a drummer is doing kind of a cheater beat, right? So he's not going to do double time. Maybe the the beat is too fast, so he can't do two hits on the hi-hat for everyone on the snare. Maybe he just thinks it sounds chunky and good by just doing hitting the hi-hat and the snare at the same time on the two every time, right? So there's an example, like on Chain of Strength on the Fast Songs, Chris Bratton's doing that. But it sounds so dope because he's such a great drummer and he, he hits a lot of fills. But here's an example of the fast cheat beat. It's Battery, the song It's In Our Hands. All right, now I wanted to give an example of what we call the scissor beat, also known as the dicka dicka beat. Uh, this is when the drummer does 
the hi-hat on the one, the snare on the two, the hi-hat on the three, the snare on the four. So he's rotating back and forth with his beats, right? It's going hi-hat, snare, hi-hat, snare, or cymbal, snare, cymbal, snare. But he's not doing double time. He's not doing the cheat where he's hitting everything together on the two. So this first example is Agnostic Front Last Warning. All right, I want to give one more example of the scissor or the digga digga beat. This is floor punch, not for me. All right, true fans of 185 Miles South know this is a beat we've talked about a lot over the history of the pod. It's the do dat do da dat beat. And uh, yeah, we got to use no effects for it, right? So this is the drummer's doing double time, but instead of doing do dat do dat do dat, he's going do dat do dat do dat do dat, or a variation of that. Like the drum beat on the kick is busier. So this is no effects, Lori Myers. All right, one of the most famous punk beats in the game is the D beat. It's a little slower than like the general hardcore punk fast beat, but uh, yeah, the the kick drum's very busy on it, and I can't do it with my mouth, so I'm going to play it for you. Got to go to the originators. This is Discharge, Mania for Conquest, doing the D beat. Now, a variation on the D beat that we talk about on the podcast is what we call the the slow fast beat. It's basically the D beat, but the kick drum is less busy. So it's like the tempo of the D beat, but the drummer is just doing straight double time. So a perfect example of that is Integrity. This song rides. I wanted to give one more example of this. This is Chain of Strength, Best of Times, doing the slow, fast beat. All right, and finally for drum beats, let's talk about the blast beat. This is done a lot in like grindcore and death metal. It's not done too much in straight hardcore, but a band that does it really tastefully uh, is a band called Coke Bust. And I wanted to show you them doing the blast beat. The blast beat is basically you're hitting the snare every beat. So on the one, two, three, four, the snare is getting hit every time. And there's variations of how much you're hitting. Like if you're on the the hi-hat or if you're on the ride, some insane foos can do it like double time or hit the same amount of times. Or some people do like a variation that's like a cheat. But uh, anyway, here is the blast beat. This is Coke Bust, the song Long Gone. All right, I wanted to dive into some tempos. So when we refer to like a slow song on the pod, here's an example of that. This is Chromag's Malfunction. One more example of a slow song. This is Bad Religion, Drastic Actions.
okay, I want to talk about what I consider a mid-tempo song. And uh, a great example of that, we're going all the way back. Black Flag, Nervous Breakdown. This is what I consider mid-tempo. I'm about to have a nervous breakdown. My head really hurts. If I don't find a way out of here. All right, this is a weird one we talk about in the pause sometimes. Sometimes I say mid-tempo, up-tempo. What I mean by that is it's basically the fastest you could possibly do a mid-tempo beat where the guitarist can still downstrum. But you'll see, if we're calling like that that beat, the Black Flag Nervous Breakdown beat, if we're calling that mid-tempo, here's an example of like a mid-tempo up-tempo. This is Turbo Negro Black Rabbit. All right, let's jump into some dance parts. So everyone knows mosh part, breakdown, you know, this stuff. But I'm going to give some examples anyway because it's a starter kit and not everyone knows everything, right? So, and shit, I don't even know everything. You know I'm going to get blasted for all these. But uh, let's jump in. This is an example of what I consider a mosh part. This is Harm's Way Breeding Grounds. All right, here we go with another example of a mosh part. This is Hate Breed Betrayed by Life. All right, so a little bit more up-tempo than a mosh part is what I consider a breakdown. You know, although a mosh part is also a breakdown, which is, this is all very confusing, right? <laughs> but anyway, what the fuck? I thought it'd be a fun segment. So let me give you an example of what I consider a breakdown. It's kind of like the mid-tempo beat, you know, and it can be a variation of like a little slower, a little faster, whatever. Great example, one of the best breakdowns of all time, Bad Brains Right Brigade. Another example of a breakdown. Madball across your face. Alright, I should have done these in, I should have done these in better order, like in descending speed or something. But uh yeah, consider like a breakdown in the middle. A mosh part's a little bit slower. This is even slower than a mosh part. This is a beatdown part. Let's go back to the originators. Bulldoze, nothing but a beatdown. All right. And then the fastest example of like a breakdown is like a two step part, right? So this is something that's very hard to mosh to, hard to floor punch to or whatever. So that's when you see dudes like skanking around. It's a two-step part. An example of this is Floor Punch, the song Gaining Ground. All right, this should have gone in the opening segment, I think, or back earlier, but... uh. I want to go over two different bounce beats. Madball does these both perfectly on uh, the album Hold It Down. I want to show an example of a basic bounce beat. And uh, so this is Madball Hold It Down. When we talk about a bounce beat, this is a perfect example. 
And then also there's a variation of that, right? It's a slow bounce beat. So if the uh, if we consider like the the regular bounce beat being like a mid tempo, this is like a slow bounce beat. An example is Madball Show No Fear. I want to talk about two parts that like used to be super, super crucial in hardcore and were done kind of a lot. And when the prevalence of like the mosh part came in, they kind of got pushed aside a bit. They're both buildups. And uh, so there's a buildup on drums. And this is the best example because this song rips and this buildup is so perfect. Like by the time you get to the sing along at the end of the buildup, like you're just so hyped up to go nuts. So this is a build-up drum part. This is Powerhouse Nothing Sacred. Alright, another build-up part you have is a build-up pylon part, right? Or a build-up, you know, jump on some foo part. Right, the best to probably do this is Strife, and it, probably the best example is on the song Lift. So here's a build-up pylon part. Alright, a lot of times we talk about this part of a song, and we, we refer to the youth crew toms. So I want to show an example of that. An example of the youth crew toms here. This is Youth of Today. The song Slow Down. All right. Now I want to give one more example of the youth crew toms. This is Madball Across Your Face. All right, lastly, I wanted to talk a little bit of guitar stuff and talk the difference between a lead, a solo, and an octave. So I'm going to give you an example of a lead. This is like, it's basically a simplified solo, right? There's no wanking in it. It's done for like the purpose of making the song dope. And a perfect example of this is Bad Religion, Modern Man. All right, another perfect example of the lead is in a song called Lead Song by The Great Negative Approach. Here you go. All right, let's compare those two guitar leads to a true guitar solo. This is an ill solo. This is done by one of my favorite bands ever, In Cold Blood, the song Lost in Doubt. All right, an octave is not a it's not a lead or a solo. It's just when a guitarist basically his hand is on the A string and like the power chord like formation, and you move your your ring finger up to one higher string. <laughs> and guitarists are gonna laugh at me for explaining it like th this, but 
that's basically the basics of it. And so it makes this real nice sound, right? And you can just hold that note and the rest of the notes go. And it just, it's a nice little like variation of kind of a lead, but it's like a simplified way of doing it. So this is an example of an octave. This is Ignite Past Our Means. All right, and finally, for the 185 Faithful, you knew I had to give you an example of a YOLO part. And so this is Powerhouse Ignorant One. And let me explain what I think a YOLO part is. It's just when you're songwriting and you get to a part and you're like, I don't give a fuck if this makes sense or not. I'm going to get buck right here. So this is a great example. Like Powerhouse is basically like capped off this song, which is already great. And then they're just like, fuck it. Let's go fast out of nowhere just because the people need it. So that's a YOLO part. This is Powerhouse Ignorant One. I'm going to bring in Dan and Ben, and we are going to talk about this. So, dudes, what did you think about that hardcore punk rock part starter kit? Dan, what do you think? I think it it, it provides a nice lexicon to people who listen to the pod on a regular basis to know when we just refer to the little vocab that we have amongst the three of us and a few and Chris and others as well. It gives people an idea, but I'm sure some people were like, duh, I know a lot of this, but it's nice to frame it in the way that we talk about things. Also, how come Candiria was not used as YOLO? Because <laughs> <laughs> I was trying to use clips, not an entire song of YOLO. Yeah, true. The didgeridoo <laughs> part is especially YOLO. Dude. But yeah. Yeah, Ben, what did you think about this? How 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 was this list? It's great. I'm glad you did it because um some of these are things that everyone who listens to this kind of music terminology that we all use, but then some of it is stuff. I only ever hear you Zach Nelson using. So it's good that you did this to clarify. Like, I don't know if I've ever heard someone say, you know, mid that mid mid tempo up tempo part. So it's good. You have examples. Don't you think that is smart though, to like kind of break that out? Because, like, mid-tempo is such a giant lane, you know? It could kind of be anything. It could be, like, Motorhead doing Killed by Death, like, or it could be, like, that Turbo Negro song, right? Like, like, that's so different. I mean, of course I'm glad, because you're talking to the guy who came up with the idea of 1.5. I'm all about micromanaging um, music. So I'm all for it. I, I just was wondering, should we go through these in the order you talked to them or should we, does it not matter? I think that we don't need to go through everything, but if there's anything you want to talk on, let's talk on it and like yeah. maybe go down the list for the ease of, uh, of everything. So if people well, want to go back and so forth. Well, not just cause we were talking about mid tempo up tempo. I'm just wondering like, maybe it'd be helpful to actually figure out like what uh, beats per minute range would qualify as Whoa. mid-tempo, up-tempo. You know what I mean? No. Let's, let's, let's we don't just, need it's, some that. <laughs> no, it's a feeling, right? And, like, this is, like, this is things we talk about or, like, you read about in books, right? Like, people talk parts, but it's, I don't know if anyone's ever laid it out with examples. 
Like I'm yeah. sure there's like YouTube videos where it's like a five minute video on what a breakdown is, but fucking a dude, I'm not going to waste my life watching YouTube videos. Like I, I, every YouTube video I watch, I feel dumber for watching. Well, there's one, th- there's a couple things I'd say. It's interesting about referring to right brigade as a breakdown because technically you could also refer to it as like almost a buildup because the guitar breaks, which is part of the breakdown, but then it starts building up to the breakdown. It's interesting, you know? Well, Dan, um, circle back to the drum buildup. That's what it's doing before the breakdown. Exactly. It's, it's doing yeah. a drum buildup part. Right brigade. Right brigade. And then you're into the breakdown. Yeah, exactly. See, I was to- I was going even further back to where the guitar breaks by itself and then the drums come in on it. But um, it's just, it's really good having all of this stuff because we're a hardcore podcast that actually talks about hardcore music and tries to analyze songs and output of musical stuff, which seems to be a little bit of a novel concept in the hardcore pod world. But um, (laughs) the one thing I'm going to pull you up on is you said the drummer when referring to do that, do that. And you didn't give a shout out to our boy smelly. I mean, come that's on. Shameful. That's, that is shameful. <laughs> My bad. I apologize. Smelly king of the dude. There's a couple things that aren't on here that we do talk about. Oh, um, it's not like you had uh, five days to tell me that. Didn't I, well, didn't I, I, I didn't these see this list until just now, sir. <laughs> I sent all the files and said, go through these, please. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was, <laughs> Um, I, w- I was too busy um, <laughs> just worshipping Smelly and Noodles. All right, well, give them to me. Let me write them down, and then if the people want them, I'll do them. Okay. The talky 90s hardcore vocal. Yeah, that's a good one. Because I, th- I think that is something that we do reference when doing our Super 7s, and then also as newer bands are channeling the 90s quite a bit lately. That's a good one. We'll do it for uh, next round. What and else? Then, then the Integrity Whisper. Yes. Oh, I was whisper. just going to say that. Whisper Core. That's what we used yeah. to call it. Whis- whisper Core. Yeah. I think, I think though, because all of this other stuff is very instrument-based, but it's kind of it'll be kind of neat to pull out a few vocal tropes that we have seen repeat over time. And if like, anyone ever asked, if anyone ever questions why sometimes I talk about quitting the pod is for this. <laughs> when you lay out 31 things, it's like, well, what about this? Well, I mean, it's just things we talk about. It's not a big deal. It's, it, it's just something that pops in my mind. Um, just after seeing this, especially do you know what though? While listening to all of that, all of these examples are so good, and the songs are so good that I like kept repeatedly getting mad as the the little clip ended. I'm like, oh, me too. I hear more. Me too. Yeah, that was pretty painful. I feel that too. You know, but uh, yeah, we'll make a playlist, dude. <laughs> no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Fuck yeah, I want this playlist. Yeah, I mean, this was fun to do. It was like. Nice. 
Yeah, it's just Chuck Lorre Myers on there, dude. Fuck it. Yeah. But uh, yeah, I mean, this took so long to make. I just thought it was kind of important because we always talk music and and everyone that's in a band knows that like each band has its own language. And that's, that's a very critical part of being in a band, being able to communicate musically with each other. And so, you know, some people sing drum parts to each other like we do sometimes on the pod, right? Like, all right, go do that, do that, do that, do that. You know, or go do, 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 that, do, 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 you know? People can do that, or you can communicate in the language, right? Like, all right, let's do a drum build up here into a breakdown, then we're going to drop to a mosh part, then we're going to drop again to a beatdown part. You know what I mean? Like, and then back to another mosh part, and then back to another beatdown part, and Ben's <laughs> head's going to explode. Then we're going to come out of it to a bounce part. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, no, it's like. And then Edge is going to jump off a building. Yeah. <laughs> it's just fun because, yeah, I mean, we're. I think the best thing we do on this podcast is break down music, right? I think we do a, a pretty good job of it. And this is just kind of like a glossary of terms that we refer to. And again, like most of the stuff people are going to know, but most of the stuff people might not know who knows, like, and that's a thing. Like we're kind of like anti gatekeeping this shit, right? Like here's everything I know. And you know, a bunch of the shit I can get skewered for and people can say I'm wrong. Right. So I don't know. It is what it is. I thought it was a cool thing to do. And just like anything, like the top hundred list, just got to put it out there, man. If you got one, put it out. I'll listen to it. You know yeah. what I mean? The, yeah. the Modern Man lead was was dangling very close to Solo. But you're right. It's a lead, but it's a very um, intense lead where it's doing a lot. Yes. The back end of that lead is very close to Solo. Yeah. And and that's the thing with a lot of this stuff. A lot of it is gray area, right? Like, what's a breakdown? What's a mosh part? Whatever. I'm just saying, like, these are easy ways for me to break it down. You're not wrong if you call, like, any sort of mosh part a breakdown or if you call any breakdown a mosh part. It's just kind of sometimes easier to label stuff so we we know a little bit of of each other's, like, musical language. Absolutely. You know? and, and almost the crowd decides if it's a mosh part or a breakdown, right? If That's true. fucking crazy, it's a mosh part. Yeah. Um, it, the... Perfect band to do to demonstrate leads, I feel, is Coxbara. Yes, agreed. Although that dude can shred too. Oh, absolutely. But I'm saying, like, on almost every song, the melodious part that you just absolutely love is the lead. Yeah. Ding, 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 yeah, those are perfect leads. And Screeching Weasel's one also. Yeah. Like yeah. Screeching Weasel has all the great leads and they don't I don't know if they ever solo. Ben, what were you gonna say? Yeah, I was just thinking the other the other one was uh Rodeo Clown Lifetime, which Dan said was very Screeching Weasel influenced. It's like that's it's a repeating melodic guitar line. Because a solo you wouldn't repeat. That would be really strange if you repeated a solo. Like note for note. Um, Although, you know what? There are examples of that, including the solo I included on here. On this song, the dude does it twice. And then there's also a 15 song on the album Lucky. I think it's the song Lucky. The dude does the same solo twice. <laughs> it's pretty ill, dude. You know, when you got wow. it, fuck it. But those are abnormalities. Those are the only two examples I can think of where someone does the same solo twice. I had a song like that uh 
when Jeff Capra was in my band Surprise Vacation, we would there was one part of the song where I did the solo and there was one part of the song where he did the solo and I'm like it's the same he like just learned what I did and just did it again. And, but that's kind of cool. It's not in there anymore. It's like the first one's gone, the second one's still there. Um but I wanted to get into some of these terms like double time. I never knew that related to the hi-hat. I just thought double time was just meant like you're playing fast or you're, or you're, you're doubling the uh, BPMs of a song of a, of a beat that you were, that you're coming out of, you know, it's like half time you're cutting in half the BPMs of the beat you're coming out of, but I don't know, like, cause I'm not a drummer. So that's a good point. I guess I don't know either. I was just assuming. Yeah. If it's like, if it's like 50 BPM and then you go to 100, it's like you double timed it. Like you hear it a lot. I mean, I don't even know if maybe this isn't, I'm not even using this correct, but like on a lot of rock and roll songs from an early sixties, as they're fading out, like at the end of the song, cause they're almost, they're almost all fade outs. You just, you hear the drummer just start playing everything twice as fast, which is still not that fast relative to, you know, all this punk shit that comes around years later. And I'm like, Oh, there it is again. Like when you start, it's like when you start noticing something, like you, you notice it all the time. So anytime a song like that happens, uh, I'm like, Oh, it's the double time. Like, how can you get out of this song without doing that? It's just too fun not to do it. Right on. What I else? Like, you want to dive into? Oh, go ahead, Dan. I like the clarification of the cheat beat or the fast cheat beat, because in my head, I've always thought the scissor beat and the cheat beat were somewhat the same um because i've always thought the scissor beat well actually not in the last couple years since we've been doing the pod because i've i've kind of learned from the way that you reference the two different things but i've always like when people have talked about the cheap beat it's like been in almost like a negative context but it's it's a great beat it's great when it's used right you know so like floor punch they'll have songs where they do straight double time but when they want to get fast and buck, a lot of times they have those really short verses and they'll do the scissor beat like on this, this example. And then also like for, you know, this agnostic front chorus of last warning, it works perfectly when it's done sparingly. It is an example of a cheat beat for like a lot of, you know, in the nineties, like when you'd see like a bad crust band, you know, like that, this would be like their default fast beat. So like if you're playing that, that scissor beat for like a two minute song, it sounds terrible, but if you're using it as a part, it's super ill. Yeah. It's really good transition or verse parts. Right. Um, but, but yeah, like an entire song of it, it just, it's yeah. It's grinding on you for sure. Ben, anything else you wanted to dig into? Um, a good, an example of tasteful scissor beats would be the unity seven inch the UR one seven inch. A lot of that is scissor beats. Um, and it sounds awesome. And you always talk about how part of what makes it sound good is the way the drums are mic'd. You, you say the hi hats mic'd louder than the bass drum, or did I get that completely wrong backwards? No, it's just a snare is mic'd loud, right? So the, you want to bring the miking down on the hi hats. Because you don't want it to sound like you just want it to sound like a straight fast beat, you know, because they're doing it for like the full verse and chorus, unless they do a tempo change. That's a lot of scissor beat on that record, you know, but it's recorded so nicely. It sounds good. I'm trying to think there was another record I was, I was listening to and I was like, 
I know that there's like this, these different beats on it, or I think it was a scissor beat and I couldn't hear the hi-hat recorded at all. I'll try to think of what record it is, but it's driving me crazy now. No, for it's like a notable record. And I was like, I was like, fuck, I can't hear the hi-hat at all. You know, Casey Jones does it a lot on that first no for an answer seven inch the you laugh EP. There's a lot of it's very scissory. And then you yes. have Chris Bratton replacing him on the L on the no for an answer LP. So you hear like what the difference between, you know, the chain of strength guy playing in that band versus the scissor guy. Um, and the battery cheat beat that you used as an example, that always bothered me. Um, because it sounds like he's playing the beat backwards and then you hear where like the guitar changes and then it kind of reset, like it resets my brain. Like, Oh, he's playing it forwards, but there's something about like when the guitar is just ringing out. So you can't really, you don't have the structure to follow like the beginning of the measure versus the end of the measure. And so do you ever get that? Does that happen? Yeah, so he's, gonna, he's there's okay. So here's a beat I I left out, which okay. There's a few beats I forgot to do these ones, and I'll, I'll do them if we do an update. Um, like the the uh, leave it alone beat, the no effects where the snares on the one, it's like snare one kick two, and then also the fear beat is like that as well. Datu 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 datu. Then there was a bunch of like NorCal hardcore bands in the late '90s that did that too. It's like a backwards fast beat. It's very interesting. The battery beat is not backwards. What I think he does is he's supposed to do do da do da do da do da do da, but he just starts with do da do da do da do da do da do da. He doesn't do that do da do da do da first. So it's like right. the kick drum. The kick drum is almost backwards, but the snare is still on the right. The snare is still on the two and the four. So like the fast beat isn't backwards, the kick drums are just wonky. But that was like a recording where you could really hear the hi hat and the snare and the kick drum well. So I wanted to use that as an example of a fast cheat beat because he's he's doing a fast beat where the snare's on the two, but like he's not doing the hi hat very often, right? He's not doing double time on the hi hat. Yeah, I think it's because exactly how you describe it, like the, it starts out missing that beginning part and it throws me off. And it makes me think everything's pushed forward like one beat. So he's, pl- so it makes it sound like he's playing it backwards. And then you hear like the vocal or the guitar come in and you're like, Oh, he's actually playing it forward. But in my brain, it was backwards the entire time. And it'll shift like throughout the course of a battery song, like many times, like, okay, now it sounds backwards to me again. Okay. Now it sounds forward. Anyway, it's annoying. And mouthpiece guy plays a cheap beat too, but it's different. And I never get that weird like backwards vibe from the mouthpiece guy so i mean i he's not playing exactly the same beat but he's still cheating he's doing a variation of the scissor beat it's it's a it's a weird cheat beat and then it's strange because on the first main strike lp they mimic that mouthpiece beat so it's done twice it's pretty crazy and then on the second main strike i main strike lp the drummer rips so anyway yeah and uh do that do do that um, we found a video now I can't find it anymore but you showed it to me of Smelly explaining how he came up with that beat and how it's the first half of the two measure phrase from Inagata Davida by Iron Butterfly because it's do 
dat do do dat do dat do dat. But if you just go do dat do do dat and you loop that and play it like ten times faster, it's do that And it's like, who would ever figure that out if he didn't tell us that? Like, we die not knowing that that's it's just the first half of Inagata Davida times you know sped up ridiculously. So that's cool. Yeah, I think he said it on like an Instagram story or something. So it's probably just like gone. Yeah, and that guy that the the, the drummer whose name escapes me right now just died like I don't know within the last six months or so. Um, so rest in peace, um, uh, accidental dad do that inventor. <laughs> and then. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. And what else, Ben? Sorry. What a, what a touching tribute. <laughs> <laughs> Recipes, dude. Uh, All right, let's wrap this up. But Ben, final stuff. Um. So, please help me with the difference between a mosh partner breakdown, as you define them again, just really briefly. Okay, let's do them in the order of fastest to slowest. I would say that a two-step beat is the fastest, right? It's a breakdown, but the tempo is almost too fast to, like, mosh to in the traditional sense. So you have, like, the people skanking, right? Then I'll have a breakdown, which is just a little slower than the two-step. Then I'll have a mosh part that's slower than a breakdown, and then I'll have a beatdown part that is slower than a mosh part. Okay. Okay, that makes sense. Dan, final thoughts. Um, I would say there's one we refer to like caveman beat or Neanderthal beat. What would that fall in? It's like D beat, but different. What would it, what would it be? It's a variation of the slow fast. Okay. So, but it's just doing. It's cheap beat slow fast. Do that, do that, do that. No, it's not. It's like. Is is a slow it's a slow fast. But instead okay. of doing instead of doing do that do that do that or do that do that do that do that it's just going do that do that do that do that do that. But he's still yeah. hitting the hi hat every he's hitting it two times for every snare hit. Okay. I get you. Or or floor tom sometimes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, the floor the floor tom, the symbol, the ride, or the hi hat. Right? All those can like sub in. Yeah, this is this is great because it just is it's just fun to talk all this stuff. If I was going to pick my, I'm going to give you my three favorite beats <laughs> since, we've got, <laughs> since, we've, since we've got them all down. Um, number one, Youth Crew Toms. Just have to. I mean, that's. I want Youth Crew Toms to be like a button you press on my gravestone, and then Youth Crew Toms happen. <laughs> Um, next would be because I'm just uh, it, it's not as um, as common in in many songs but when it is oh my god it's just the best the slow bounce beat and then you know you just gotta have the classic slow fast mid tempo's really close but slow fast is my number three if I just choose a number one right now it's gotta be the scissor beat dude because when it's done tastefully, it is like what keeps hardcore rooted in being wild man music, right? It's like 
if you play in front of like a music professor, they're like, what the fuck is that? It's like, well, it's the heart of this thing we call hardcore, you know, is getting buck, you know? <laughs> so, so like, I think. Get out, get out of here, professor. <laughs> I, I was All right, Ben, you got anything else? Yeah, the blast beat. I, oh, I, for some reason, I thought blast beat means you're hitting the snare, the hi-hat, and the kick drum all at the same time every time. But I learned something Usually. new today. You don't necessarily have to do that, and it can still be a blast beat. Right, because if I've watched a few videos on that, and like a lot of the dudes that do blast beats, so assuming you're a right-handed drummer, you know you're hitting the snare on every beat. They're not hitting. They might just be hitting like the ride on one on every other one. So it's like they're not being fast with their right hand; they're just being fast with their left hand. But it, but usually the foot and the snare are in coordination for every, you know. Yeah, I think the kick has to be, but I'm not. Yeah, I'm not sure, dude. Not not my musical forte. I just tossed it in here because it's a hardcore band that does it well, and it would be bad for me to omit it. But I'm definitely not an expert on the blast beat, so don't get at me, people. I'm the locust I, or infest, perhaps. Good places to look for it. Infest a lot of scissor beat, no blast beat. Oh, no blast beat, but oh. locust definitely blast beat. Mm, cosplay, not hardcore. Oh, <sighs> All right, joining us now is Patrick Kitzel of Reaper Records, and Patrick, this was so fun because you know we had talked briefly, and you said I got to share with you my top ten records from California. And I was like, we should just do it on the pod. Cause I love any sort of list. Like it's always controversial and believe me, I know because our top 100 records of the eighties came out last week. You, you haven't heard it yet. We're recording this before the episode airs, but uh, I just like when people put their money where their mouth is, you know, make a list. Let's talk about it. There's like no right or wrong answer. It's literally what you like. So I love this idea. Let's jump in your list because in my opinion, is pretty wild, but pretty respectable. Um, let's just, I'll, I'll read it quickly and then we'll, we'll dive into it. Number one, Drunk Engines, Frontside Grind LP, 1987. Number two, Bad Religion Suffer, Epitaph Records, 1988. Unity, Blood Days LP, 1989 is number three. Number four, Beowulf, self-titled LP, 1986. Number five, The Flower Leopards. That's the original group LP, Mystic Records, 1990. Number six, Instead, What We Believe, Epitaph Records, 1990. Number seven, No Effects, S&M Airlines, Epitaph Records, 1989, Shout Out Smelly. Number eight, Outspoken, A Light in the Dark, New Age Records, 1992. Number nine, Dead Kennedys, Fresh Fruit for Rotten Vegetables, Cherry Red Records, 1980. And number 10, DI, Ancient Artifacts, Green World slash Reject Records, 1985. Dan, your overall thoughts looking at this list? The initial thought of anything is this is why Patrick rules because there's no no choice for clout, nothing, anything like that. It is just these are his 10 favorite records. Sometimes, like when we're putting these records together, you're like, you start thinking, like, oh God, if I put this above this, am I going to get shit? Which I didn't. Like for my 80s list, I side by side was my number two record of the 80s because I love it more than anything. But. What I love about this is this this is just purely 
exactly what he likes. And I love because uh, growing up in Germany, I think it's going to be really interesting, like talking to him about these things and how certain things like at what periods of time that he was hearing these things and how something may have been in the early getting into stuff may have dropped down a little bit on this list while something else he discovered a little bit later may have gone to the front because it's just so good or I don't know. I'm really interested in talking about it. Right. So Patrick, number one, drunk engines, frontside grind. Do you wear records? 1987. I've never even heard of this. Um, is this like a, a thrasher magazine thing? Uh, yeah. Even though I didn't discover the, the record in or through thrasher. Also, let me just put out there. This is not, uh, in order, like number one is not number one. You know okay, what I mean? Okay. I kind of type them out. There's no order to this list as far as uh, which one is my favorite out of the 10. Okay, oh, so it's okay. just a 10 so, favorite. Because I was like, damn, that's wild. Like, here's a thing I never heard of. And the other thing that's wild is 1987 is one of the wildest years. We're going to do a Super 7 on it soon just because – Outside of like the straightforward, like the the straight edge hardcore lane, like because Rev gets going, you know the California stuff is bumping, but yeah. there's not a lot of like straightforward punk and hardcore in '87. Like there's the RKL LP, there's the Final Conflict LP. Those are great, but beyond that, like it's a little, it's a weird year, you know. So I was like, this caught me off guard. Let me know how you got into the Drunk Engines. Uh well, I want to say Renee from True Blue. Uh, came up with it um, with the record. Uh, I don't know how, but uh, if I remember correctly, sometime in the early 90s, he just kind of dis- discovered that one. He might have even discovered it in the, you know, couple years after the record came out. Either way, I kind of remember that he was the one that... Uh, uh, that sort of turned up with uh, the Drunk Engines one. And, um, it, you know, even though I don't think either of us uh, saw anything about it in Thrasher, because that was one of the three big skate bands, Artman Out, MacRat, and Drunk Engines. And they all shared, well, Artman Out and Drunk Engines definitely shared members, and MacRat was from... Uh, uh, Philadelphia, so uh, that was a little different. But anyways, uh, you know, that was a big skate band, and uh, we were all skating, and uh, that was the perfect skate rock record. Um, it's super unique. Um, it's just a really, really good record. Highly recommended. Yeah, it's I'm going really to have to do it more. Unfortunately, it's not on streaming and I hate listening to stuff on YouTube, but it's pretty wild. Dan, what did you think of it? Did you get a chance to check it out? Yeah, it, it's um, it's really uh, going for it in in that skate rock world, like post JFA. Really, it's like ramping that up. I I can imagine being like really into skating, and then when you hear that there are songs about it, like it just will tickle you right where you want it to, you know? And then um, what's funny though, is like when all that skate rock um, 
around the late nineties going into 2000, like started coming back like hard or at least, you know, skate rock referential stuff. It's interesting that this didn't get um, name checked as much as, as when listening to this, I, I think that it would have, you know, like when Mike V and the rats were going and, and uh, 97A, etc. like, even though, and even bands that don't sound like skate rock, like Atari or something, but they're doing very skate referential stuff. It's uh, funny that this wasn't um, name checked as much back in that era. I wonder it if just, did it just go, go out of print forever? Yeah, I don't think it was. I think there was a CD reissue, maybe. I don't know. I had the. I had the LP as long as I can think back, so it must be close to thirty years. So I never, I know they didn't put out. They had a um, uh, maybe a ten inch out before the LP. Um, that's not really good. Um, so I never really paid attention after um getting a hold of Frontside Grind. Um, but um. I, w- I wonder if the whole checkmark deal has to do with that Atman Out and Drunk Engines were very almost like pop in a way. Um, so I wonder if, if bands don't really gravitate to referencing them because it was really uh, almost an odd style of punk um, with synthesizers and you know it was like it's almost like i feel like some people are ashamed of liking it in a way i don't know maybe maybe but i really do think that like everything kind of gives us shine this old school and and i think that what it is is just it's out of print for so long because yeah they do a cassette in 83 and then they do the 10 inch that you referred to in 85 this comes out in 87 and they don't get any sort of repress until the year 2002. Although it does so come out in alternative did, tentacles in 2002. So they did do a CD kind of combining everything. Right. But, but that's a long stretch, dude. That's 17, nah, 15 years. Yeah. You know, that's pretty wild. Yeah. So that's probably why I, wa- I wonder if anybody cared when it was reissued, you know, but, um, but yeah, I always thought that for the entire punk genre, Atman Out, Drunk Engines, and Mac Rat are, I mean, I, I mean, they're really three of the greatest. All, all three records are perfect, in my opinion, you know. Do you like the faction as well? Yeah, uh, I do. Um I gotta admit, I I really like Artman Out and Drunk Engines the most out of all the skate bands. Um, the faction, you know, if you compare them to Drunk Engines, they were definitely more straightforward, yeah, and um, and kind of to the point, punk hardcore, you know, whatever. They definitely didn't have that whole synth edge to it. Yeah, I like the faction, but they're never really like, um, you know, it's, I don't think they would ever come up on my mental radar as in, oh, I gotta, I haven't listened to them in ages. Let's check it out, you know? Yeah, they're really straightforward and they also put out a fair amount of material. 
which kind of yeah. makes it hard to like. <clears throat> there's not really a standout record, if you ask me. Yeah. Like all the well, LPs are like pretty good. The drunk engines make it easy. There's there's one <laughs> top one. <laughs> it does right. It makes it easy when there's one LP. Now you have my favorite punk record of all time on here, which is Bad Religion Suffer. So good. I'm glad that made it. Um, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, it's the best. But let's dig in. And also the Dead Kennedys, kind of a no-brainer. First Dead Kennedys LP. But let's dig into a couple where you, I feel like you chose records that aren't like the consensus best ones of a band's catalog. Like Unity Blood Days LP, and then also the Instead What We Believe LP. So for Unity Blood Days, most people consider like the the Ewer 1-7-inch, the classic material. And then also for Instead, it's, it's kind of hard on Instead. Right, you can kind of choose which you like. There's two LPs and there's a seven inch. I think the seven inch is the best. Dan, where are you at on that one? I'm um I like them in the order of the seven inch bonds of friendship and then this one, but I like all three uh, a hell of a lot. I'm seven inch, then this one, then bonds. Although the bonds cover carries it a long way. You know. Patrick, why do you like this one the most of the instead catalog? Uh it was the first one I owned. Mm. Um yeah, so a lot of these records are all records I directly associate with uh, records I picked up right around the time I got into hardcore and uh, so on. Um, but besides that, uh, I do think that what we believe is uh, is just a better record than the first LP Uh Obviously, the first LP wins with the layout. Um, I just, a couple of minutes before we started this um, podcast, uh, went through all the layouts, and the layout is actually pretty sucky for, for what we believe. But um, I think it's a great record. It sounds great. Um, lyrics are awesome. Um, it's, I would definitely pick it musically and lyrically over Bonds of Friendship easily. And the seven inch is just, I don't know. I, I could take it or leave it kind of deal. If I think of instead, I definitely think of what we believe. That's wild. I just, I think the seven inch is all bangers. I think like they're all hits. There's not a single song I could lose, but what we believe has my favorite instead song probably which is the last song on the record. Is it from the start? The, I'm not condemning those who choose metal riffs or write lyrics that don't make any sense. Instead, we'll say the same as before. As long as we're together and putting out core, others have changed. That's okay. You do what you want. Help me out, Daniel. We'll stay the same. <laughs> you know? I can't believe you know the entire song. Oh, uh, dude. When they did a reunion, they played Ventura and there weren't that many people there. It was like a weird day. They played a Sunday around like 3 p.m. And me and a few people, like we sang that whole song to them. Because uh, like awesome. they didn't have it in the playlist. It's like, dude, would, or in the I would have loved to see them in their, in their heyday. Uh, uh, but yeah, the title, uh, not the title track, but the first track on side A, not for me, is definitely my favorite. Um, that song's a ripper. Maybe Tomorrow is great. Yes. Uh, yeah, it's a it's a great hardcore record that also doesn't get the shine in my book. You know, I always 
had the problem that, and I'm not saying this because you pointed out their seven inch, but so many people are always jocking the, the first release or the one that's most talked about and, uh, and don't really go any further. Um, yeah, I, I agree. And that's why I, I really liked your list from just reading it. Um, that there's no pretension at all. You know, there's no like, oh, well, to get the scene points, I've got to choose Bonds of Friendship, right? You know, no, this is the one you love, and that's what's so sick about it. Like, give thanks, what a track. Like, and I, I agree that the the layout is crap, like, but it was so of the day, you know, um, the, the graphic design choices were very... Um, of the label and of the day. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's very similar to the first Pennywise record, which I believe is the same year, maybe the next year, you know? It, yeah, color scheme for sure. Right. The other thing, well, there's two things I want to go into here. This, I Okay, so I collect all the Mystic records. I probably have the best Mystic collection in the world. And... You know, when I was young and I started, you know, like buying ill repute and Stalag records and so forth, even though Stalag's not a mystic, except for the Narcor Cup, but like all that stuff, I got this Flower Leopards, I got the seven inch, and it was like yeah. the one thing that I didn't like, you know? But like, it's because I had like a, a stupid teenage brain, right? Like, I'm not trying to have like the goth rock like infiltrate, you know? Which is stupid because I probably liked TSOL at the time, right? And I was uh. just like, what is this, you know? And and now I can really like it. And and I think the LP, I don't, is that all? I think it's just a bunch of old recordings. It's like a compilation. Yeah, it for sure is a compilation. And also with my list, I didn't pick any seven inches because I, you know, in my head, I was, I told you that I would pick my 10 favorite LPs. And yeah. so I didn't even, uh, you know, consider any seven inches. Um, right. I just went straight for the LPs and, um, but, but yeah, I really must, uh, give props to Renee from true blue. Cause he was always, uh, my sidekick, um, with listening to, to anything and everything, you know, um, he also loves TSOL. I love TSOL. Um, so we always like when people were just jocking, I don't know what, you know, whatever it was, um, we would be listening to, uh, you know, pretty much anything, you, you know, if it was punk related and if it was good, you know, that we would be listening to it. So, um, so yeah, shout out to him. What year did you get into hardcore Patrick? Uh, 89. And, and what was your pathway in? skateboarding yeah and skate you know. videos and stuff yeah well there was um there was a, a kid in high school that um he was kind of a punk rock guy and then uh one day he showed up uh with a shaved head and he had a homemade youth of today shirt on and uh that just kind of uh, you know, set things off. Uh, and, um, yeah, I mean, that was kind of like the starting point. So it was, 
it was not so much even though it was skating all these all these people skated together but um it wasn't really per se videos or anything like that it was really this one kid that um just all of a sudden had a can close my eyes shirt um that um you could downtown was this um this copy uh kind of like a kinko style place and you could take um records down there and they would heat heat press um or heat transfer um the record covers onto shirts and um he kind of discovered this uh this um uh copy center copy store place and um and that really uh is one of the starters um, and uh patrick you were mentioning true blue and we bitch and complain on this comp on this uh podcast a lot about stuff that is not on the digital streaming platforms when is true blue going to get on spotify because it's like uh, one of the most spectacular records of the late 90s and like people don't know. Well, you know? I like to disagree with you, but um. Well, what's uh, your opinion? Have, uh, well, th- there's definitely many other records that are better. <laughs> um, but I-, I have no idea about Spotify. We don't really pay any t- attention to it. Um, every now and then we discuss putting out a um, kind of a discography. And uh, and then after having some uh, some fired up conversations, it just dies, and uh, and nobody seems to care, including me. Um, and that also leads into the Spotify thing. Nobody really cares, you know. Um, well, why didn't the why doesn't the crucial response dude do it? Like put all that stuff up. Uh, I have no idea. We we uh, had a falling out with him. Uh, during the first year of the band's existence, and that was the last time anybody spoke to him. And so, um, but to be honest, and not to sound like a dickhead or anything, I really could care less if it's on Spotify or available. Or uh, you know, it makes no no difference to me. You know, I'm I'm more concerned about you finding drunk engines outside of. Um, YouTube than uh, people finding True Blue on Spotify. <laughs> well, you could repress it, you know, like it was funny because I think the reason why we got in touch this time around was me asking you about that band Dynamo, right? Because right. like, I don't know, you you have you have such like a, a knowledge and a history of hardcore and like someone had, I think it was Anthony Papalardo hit me to that because he knew it would be like right up my alley. And I was just like, what the fuck? How, how have I never heard of this before? It's so good. And then like the seven inches are like 40, 50 bucks now. So like, I'm not going to buy them, but it's like, I just want them to be out there and I want people to know about them. It's like, it's important to keep bands that pulled off pretty rad things like in the lexicon. Like I think of that band uh, on uh, Rick, the life's label fat nuts is actually like really good for the nineties. Right. And it's cool because their stuff's on Spotify. If people want to check them out, they can check them out. Like it's really like good in a sea of a lot of mediocrity. Well, my friend, I don't know about fat nuts, but uh, if you say so, well, that's true. I'm, I'm a fucking weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, let's uh, 
maybe maybe you should get into a whole uh um uh, you know in the business of uh of uh, getting all that done um, <laughs> i have too many projects dude i'm trying to quit yeah. the podcast but uh <laughs> Uh, Zach no longer is part of the podcast. He started a uh, crusade to get things on Spotify. That's right. He's getting Dynamo and True Blue on Spotify, which is way more important. Along um, with the Back to Basics. basics uh, <laughs> the whole Back to Basics catalog. 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 That's so. right. Um, Patrick, one of my favorite records of the 90s is on your list, and I want to ask you about when you heard it the first time, what you love about it, et cetera, et cetera, which is... Outspoken, a light in the dark. I bought it when it came out. Um, I believe I had the seven inch already. Um, and uh, it was um, so. I don't know if you ever seen that Youth of Today LP, uh, the We're Not on This Alone version on Funhouse Records from Germany. It has the ugly yellow kind of cover with just the font on it. I've only seen it on Discogs. Right, but you know what I'm talking about? Absolutely. Yeah, so Funhouse used to be a mail order um, that also put out a few records um, when they would organize tours such as the uh, Youth of Today one. Um, but uh, yeah, so front um, Funhouse then turned into Frontline and uh, that was the the uh, main mail order um, at the time to get uh, import stuff from. Um, so uh, I believe that's where I uh, ordered um, the Outspoken LP. That's actually also where the What We Believe LP came from um, and uh, a ton of other stuff up until maybe 93. That was the main source of... Um, getting us hardcore records from um but uh obviously everybody knows it has a terrible sound um but i always thought just musically and lyrically amazing um early 90s hardcore record um yeah if you were to explain it to someone like is there anything else that sounds close to it like i think it's the closest thing to like verbal assault trial just because, like, they're they're kind of down the pipe with like the da 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 like that tempo. Instead right. of like going fast, they're not slow. They're just kind of like that slow, fast tempo the whole way through. And, yeah, and it's kind of outspoken, a outspoken tempo. I feel like you right. Know, even the current seven inch has that outspoken tempo to it. Um, yeah, you know, it's almost like a. Uh, straight edge mad ball they totally have their own groove you know yes you know outspoken doesn't really sound like um you know anything else it has its own groove its own beat it's just yeah you know the mad ball comparison is wild and actually makes a lot of sense because there is a lot of groove is mid-tempo and groove and then like the singer has so much confidence right? right which makes it so special it also yeah. has like a somberness and darkness to it um, musically across their releases. The level of seriousness, really, you know, um, there's no 
There's no deviation from them being completely serious on every song. Right. Yeah. No, that's a good, um, that's a good point too, you know, and I always thought every, uh, yeah. And the, the singer always looked cool on stage. He always had the, the arms kind of spread out one to the front, one to the back. Um, yeah, a very cool band. Uh, I haven't kept many hardcore shirts, but, uh, I kept my outspoken stuff, um, and still wear it every now and then. Um, it's definitely one of my favorite records and favorite bands, um, from that era and from the new age roster. Yeah. And Daniel loves it. Cause the LP photo was taken in the UK. <laughs> oh, shout really? Out, shout out to Bordy. That's right. Yeah. yeah Bordy. What's up? Yeah, um, no, a listener hit me up and, and gave, like, all the background of, like, what that photo is. It was like, God damn, thanks, dude. What is that it, like, really an cool. old church? I'll, I'll, I'll find the email and share it with you. Okay, awesome. Yeah, it's super interesting. And so shout out to to the gentleman that hit me up with that. Um, Patrick, is there anything else you want to dig into on here? And Daniel, is there anything that stands out before we move on to the next thing? Uh, just... Uh, the choice of S and M airlines um, with all the no effects output that was going on around that time. Uh, I saw them live uh, when I want to say ripped came out, maybe 92. Um, great. I mean, I couldn't care less about them. Um nowadays but uh i like uh liberal animation snm airlines and ripped uh a lot um i think all three of them are are you know i mean it all sounds so cliche but i really think before they uh blew up you know they were just kind of like standing on their own you know they the records all had great layouts. I always thought the lyrics were funny, you know, all the um, jokes on vegetarianism and even straight edge. You know, I always thought that was uh, hilarious. And, uh, you know, the music is fast. It sounds great. Um, you know, again, those were all... I stopped skating in 93 and... Um, up until then, I mean, it would just, uh, you know, be in my Walkman and I would just uh, skate, uh, you know, going downtown meeting other skaters and, uh, it, you know, it just would be blasting into my ears and, um, it, you know, any of those records, you know, the the Suffer LP was a great record to skate to, Um uh, yeah, you know, I think that's that's a super rad point because you know people might label No Effects as pop punk, but especially S and M Airlines, it's very you know metal tinged. It's really fast. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. It's not that poppy. You know, it's more like it goes as the um, you know the next generation of skate rock, really. And I think that's that's a super good point. Yeah. Well, I think it's still RKL worship at that point. Yeah, it changes oh, a bit yeah. on it changes a bit on ribbed, you know. But Which I think is a great great band in itself, you know that not many people 
I mean, I know from listening to the podcast that you guys love all that stuff, but, um, you know, I really feel like those, you know, in the last 10 years or the post post trapped under ice, you know, it's just the same bands get ripped off over and over and over. And, um, you know, there's so much stuff people could draw influences from without ripping it off, but being, being inspired, um, uh, you know, of those bands. Um, and, uh, yeah, RKL, I mean, absolutely, you know, one of the greatest bands, um, that existed on that coast. The fight lasts for hours, each ram battering the other dozens of times. Head to head. All right, we're going head to head. We're going to put the first two Trapped Under Ice LPs against each other. First up, Seekers of the World came out on the mighty reaper records in the year 2009 the next lp big kiss goodnight comes out on the mighty reaper records in the year 2011 two of my favorite modern hardcore records like by a mile you know and patrick you gave me the best segue on the last segment so we got to do this how do you feel about these which one do you like more uh Maybe Big Kiss Goodnight. Um, yeah, I would pick that one, I think. I can't decide. You know, I chose this segment because I was like, we're having Patrick on. We got to talk a little bit of Reaper. And let me choose a segment where I'm not going to have to do any homework, you know? And then <laughs> I listened to uh, Secrets of the World a few days ago, and I was like, God damn it. This is closer than I thought. You know, I can actually, I can actually tell you one of the major points why it's a better record. And that's, um, because Brenton joined the band and played drums and, um, it just upgraded the band so much. Um, yeah, I, I would definitely say big kiss. Good night. hundred percent. The first one is wild though, because there's so much confidence already. The songwriting's there. Like they are a completely proficient band by the seven inch. Like they're already a standout band, right? And they come with this LP, which is basically like, you know, two and a half times long as a seven inch. And they write an LP that has minimal fast parts and still like is so entertaining and keeps my interest like the whole way through. Like the way it just cracks off, like the sea god into believe, like believe is a ridiculously good track. Like I couldn't write a song that good. If I tried, like if I sat in my room for five years straight, you know what I'm saying? Like it is out of this world. Dan, what's your take on this? It's, it's funny what you say. Like the fact that they do, um, they're self-referential. Like they were like the first to like do that. Like the, to you are, you know, like all of that stuff. And now every band is doing it like self-referencing. I mean, I, I suppose Madball with DMS, but it's not like they're actually like talking about, you know, 
name dropping themselves in the middle of a song as in like the vibe and that it's just got so much charisma and swagger across both LPs. I do see what Patrick's saying about the drumming upgrade because also the way that the drums are recorded on the big kiss. Good night. It's just powerful. Like so powerful. Um, the backups on big kiss. Good night too. Um, unbelievable. Like on outcast, like you think there's like 600 people yelling outcast. Like it sounds huge. It's amazing. Um, I, I really do love both LPs. I think I might like the artwork. I mean, I love, I love the artwork to both, but I really like the nautical, um, old, like travel the world style, uh, artwork on the first LP. I think it looks amazing. I mean, but the second LP's artwork is no slouch. But Dan, um, you like the the LP, the first LP's artwork because it reminds you of the great Admiral Nelson. That's right. That's right. Get well, out of here, Napoleon. <laughs> 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 um, but I, I, I think it's it's a band that Patrick's like referenced it earlier. The the influence, like they were influencing classic you know nyhc stuff but it has that like undeniable groove that comes through all music coming out of baltimore um and these were just ground zero for so many bands copying this style after these records you know and still to this day so many bands are sounding like this now, if I'm going to have to choose between the two, I am going Big Kiss Goodnight also, just because both both albums are f- stacked with like incredible songs, incredible songwriting. But the way that Big Kiss Goodnight is recorded, including the unbelievable attention to the backups playing just as important role as a guitar track or a bass track or anything, or maybe even more, they tie the songs together in the most amazing way that, you know, when these are played live, people are going to lose their minds. Like it's pure hardcore writing for the hardcore listener. It's, it's meant to be participated with and it's fucking brilliant. There's, there's also so much emotion for me uh, connected to to the band and both records. And Bickers Goodnight is just, I really feel uh, they peaked um, musically at that point. And, um, and uh, you know, the whole process of of um, getting the record together, arguing over a cover. And um, the first LP, there was no arguing. It was just a a done deal um, uh, for the cover art. But the Big Kiss Goodnight, I remember us going back and forth and and trying to figure out what to do and what would fit. And um, and, uh, we eventually went with the the cross with the skeletons, um, which doesn't even necessarily have anything to do with the record title, but we felt that was the coolest 
coolest option out of all the ones. And, um, you know, it was for Reaper uh, a high point for the band, absolute high point. And um, everything up until then was just kind of build up. Well, um, it's funny that you say that about the artwork, like that the cover necessarily doesn't touch on what the LP p is like titled or is about but the the back cover has that full like new york dolls like i'm looking for a kiss like kind of and the way that the the font is written kind of gives it that vibe so i think it's super successful on the back which which i'm not sure if justice at the time was already into them but you know, Justice is somebody that has a um, a wide span of musical interests, and uh, he, you know, he loves Iggy Pop, he loves New York Dolls, and um, and you know, and that was also really cool um, to do something that's um, I don't know, flamboyant is probably not the right term at all, but uh, just something that's like almost maybe even girly or, uh, you know, something that's not a bold font or, uh, you know, something that just, I don't know if you guys feel what I'm saying, but yeah, it's out of the box for the band and it might be like a little bit of a glimmer of, of what's to come that like, they're going to branch out. Like they're going to do something a little different. Absolutely. Where uh, this LP is straight down the pipe. Like if I, it's funny to to talk about music and hardcore and likes objectively, but I would say objectively, like the second LP is better. Like they keep the intensity, they keep the groove. Justice is even more confident. There's bigger choruses, which is like that translates like two ways. Like this is like so friendly to listen to, but it's also so big and hardcore. And it's like, how can you make something so catchy? but you could never argue that it's not hardcore. That's like wild, you know, but there is just a little bit of like roughness in the first record that I, I like so much. Like, I don't know. I think I like the second one more, but I'm going to argue for the first one. So you guys both went number two. Um, my favorite back to back. You just admitted the second one is better. <laughs> okay. So I'll go with the second one, but I'm going to tell you my favorite moment on the first one. I love like that it's not even a mosh part. It's like that part that they go to on the song. I hand where it's like, dun, 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 dun. It's like, I don't even know how that's like connecting with me. It's not like a mosh part. It's not like a beat down part. It's not like a, it's just like a cool little rhythm part where it like hits me in a weird way. And I'm like, I just want to put, have someone put this on loop. I just want to listen to this on a loop for like six minutes. You know, where you at DJ? You know, yeah, and then like that's career for you, just doing uh crazy DJ samples and uh and um dub dub Dude. versions of uh back to basics. I've been trying. <laughs> I've been trying. Those programs uh are a little too heady for me. You but, have uh, my full support. <laughs> I appreciate that. But then I hand going into from birth, like that two song bracket might be my favorite part of the trapped under ice catalog, but jail is my favorite song. The second LP, it takes everything from the first LP, you know, this a number 10, it takes it up to 11. Shout out to the normal dome. Shout out to Daniel's people. And, uh, yeah. Okay. All right. We're unanimous. 
It's because well, good night. Yeah, well, I was going to say, I hand into From Birth amazing, but what about Jail into Outcasts? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, what about the whole <laughs> this? The first four songs of Big Kiss Goodnight is like, I mean, strip those off, put them on a seven inch. You have like a top 20 hardcore seven inch of all time. You know what I mean? It's like, th- that's insane. Like the run of those songs. And the album doesn't fall off by any means, but I do think it's a little front loaded. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, True Love, Disconnect. I mean, there's there's definitely some bangers on side B. Um, yeah, it's a it's a great record, and uh, you know, it's I don't know. I I don't say this very often, but I'm I'm pretty darn proud of uh, of uh, Trapped Under Ice as a whole. Um, how can you be? I mean, they're one of the most spectacular hardcore bands of all time, dude. Like well, straight I up. Wish, I mean, I we're, we're kind of seen them with me uh, right around the time the demo came out. It was, it was so terrible, but so amazing at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but, was... but, but when you think about them now and like, you know, they they did the later LP, but we're like 10 years removed now from like these first two LPs. So, like, we can look at it with a little bit of context. From influence to the fact that, like, they're a hardcore band that put out two great LPs. Like, I said I said the second one is a little front-loaded, but that doesn't mean that, like, it falls off big time. I listen to both these LPs the whole way through, both of them, which is, like, an accomplishment for hardcore records, right? Like, they don't lose me at the end, you know? I just I think it's a spectacular band. I think that any band that puts out two great LPs is like remarkable in like the non melodic hardcore lane. You know, they're just spectacular. That's it. I agree. They're the best, best people, best band. They're, um, yeah. I mean, TUI till I die. That's right. Dan, what's your take on that? I I think it's awesome. I think that these were only, enhanced by being on reaper because like being on reaper or being on indecision or being on something else like these you know a couple maybe a couple other labels but like someone like patrick or someone like mandel they're going to tell you their honest opinion when you turn in the music to them and you turn in the artwork and then that's the process that like you either fight for it and say, no, I really want it to be this and blah, blah, blah. And it is a, it, it, you know, it makes it a stronger release on the back end of that. Instead of like being a generic A&R person, like, oh, there's no hits on here. It's no, it's more like they're seeking the truth of, of these releases. And I think this being on uh, Reaper has made it even stronger in the, in the long run many of you guys uh or the listeners won't know this but uh there was a good chance because good night was going to be released by epitaph actually um it it didn't end up working out but um for a couple weeks it looked like epitaph would would grab them um and then all of a sudden they just uh fell off and nobody heard ever again from them and uh 
which which was great for me but i would have been just as happy if um epitaph would have picked them up um but uh yeah mr brett you fucked up dude i totally (laughs) forgot about um the epitaph thing till till uh we just started talking about trapped under ice um well it's interesting that trapped under ice could have been that turnstile journey that turnstiles on now maybe yeah, absolutely. And then also, who knows if Turnstile would have materialized, um, you know, I mean, yeah, it's neither here nor there, but, uh, but, um, yeah, I remember us sending stuff to, um, I don't really recall exactly, uh, what happened, but I think, for a minute, we all decided it was time for them to to needing a bigger label, um, trapped under ice. That is, and um, I don't remember how Epitaph came into play, but um, th- there was also uh, some other labels, um, and then uh, with Epitaph just kind of falling away and and not responding anymore to to any emails or whatnot. Um, you know, we just struck the plan to, to move forward and, um, keep it in house, so to speak. And, uh, and it was a success. Yeah. Crazy. Total sliding doors moment. Shout out Gwyneth Paltrow. I'm taking it back to the old school. Cause I'm an old fool. I'm taking it back to the old school. Cause I'm an old fool. All right, we're going old school. Since we got Patrick here, I want to talk Maximum Penalty. I think it's a band that doesn't get name-checked enough at all because they're a wild band when you think about it. We're going to dig into the 89 demo. Patrick did a re-release, this, this, as well as another EP. But uh, this is the first thing they do. This is so spectacular for 89 when you think about it, right? There's bounce, there's like singing, there's melody. Like it's wild. Like, and this just never caught on in like any of the circles I was in. This never got like presented to me. I think I even saw them once at the whiskey and they just never really get lumped in with like the classic New York hardcore bands, at least in the people that I've been surrounded by. And maybe that's totally wrong or not. Dan, what's been like kind of the, the take on this band with your circles. It's the same thing. It's like, one of those bands that when you listen to this, you're like, why is this not in the same conversation as burn and everything else that's from this time period? Uh, um, but it, it, it somewhat was like, I don't know, like forgotten to their revelation neighbors, I suppose. Um, I, one thing I do think that maybe the reason that it, maybe never got the full thing. It's just the the way it's recorded. Like the guitars aren't they don't stand out like for what they're doing. It's they're kinda like mushed down. Whereas the vocals and the drums are really nicely audible. But the gu- guitar tracks and the bass are a little bit like mushed. And maybe just that listenability of it never brought it forward into the um 
into the conversation as mu- as much as the other stuff. The, the um, wild thing is when I was listening to this today, I was like, dude, there is so much later turning point in this. And then it's like, look at the years and it's like, oh, there's so much maximum penalty in later turning point. Like some of like the vocal melodies and even the cadence are like almost lifted off some of this stuff, dude. It's wild. You know, sorry, Patrick, what were you going to say? Uh, I'd, I don't know about the recording having much to do with them taking off or not. I mean, uh, Jimmy, the singer, went to prison. That definitely put a halt onto uh, uh, them talking to In Effect um, after Where the Wild Things came out. Um, so I just think they kind of shot themselves in the foot with uh, internal issues. Um yeah, I want to say that's the main reason, in my opinion, and I would say the band, uh, at least Joe, the guitar player, and Jimmy, the singer, would uh, would agree. And and after that, they never really, um, you know, for long stretches, uh, kept going. Um, so that's my even, take. Yeah. Uh, yeah, maybe like the, you know, because the Breakdown 87 demo, it gets repressed, you know, and that was like not that hard to get. Like I've bought it several times, like in different decades throughout my life. So maybe like if this just, if this demo got repressed on 7-inch at some point in the early 90s and they did a big press, maybe it would have changed everything. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, uh, it could be. Um yeah, I really think Jimmy going to prison kind of took took the wind out of the sails, and uh, I know Joe kind of went off and uh, played with MOD and all sorts of other stuff, um, and it just kind of like fell to the wayside. Um, well, what's what's really like amazing about this, and and interesting why it isn't in the. Um, conversation as much as the other things we've referenced, like Judge Byrne and and other records that were coming out of this area at the same time, is this like what they're doing musically doesn't really like catch on again until like the late nineties into the you know, and then uh, then back again in the mid to late aughts, you know. Right. They were definitely ahead of their time. Are you guys familiar with the independent and super life record they put out in the mid nineties? I am. I am. And they're both also amazing, um, amazing records. Um, I'll have to give them another listen because they never connected with me at all. And I kind of thought that that might be a, again, you know, if there's a long break after the demo and then like, you know, put out later records. I mean, look, Killing Time, classic demo with Raw Deal, right? Classic LP. And then like the LPs, they kind of start falling off, you know? And so if they were playing like too much new stuff, I could understand if like some people would have lost a little interest or something. So I don't know, maybe... Yeah, but they did tours. They did a tour, um, I want to say, to support Superlife with AF. 
Um, That's when I would have seen him. Yeah, which must have been, um, I want to say Super Life came out in 98, maybe 97. <coughs> um, but uh, yeah, and I think they only got better from, uh, from um, uh, you know, the demo is kind of like a standout release. And then uh, Independent Super Life and Life and Times, which is one of my top Reaper releases, um, you know, they only got better. And uh, I really wish they had one more in them. Well, on on this demo, it, Zach touches on that, that, you know, there's lots of musical direction that would be taken up with bands like uh, Turning Point, and stuff but there's also so much of that pseudo like crossover leeway stuff on here as well and then the singer to me sounds like sounds like don't forget the struggle era rabies but with the ability to do the the singing flourishes and like really hitting notes but not in a you know thrash singer way in a full-on hardcore performance where and then there's there's total like hip hop bounce on here as well. Um, it's got everything. It's yeah. I don't know why this is not absolutely in everyone's like vocabulary. It, it just has to be that it was out of print forever because I mean, Patrick nailed it, right? Like, I don't know. This might be the most ahead of its time thing period. Like in the history of hardcore, right? Like, Dude, it is so ahead of its time because it's like bouncy, it's singy, it's like everything. Like, if a band came out today and like just re-recorded this demo, they might be huge. You know, like it might have been made for 2020. You yeah. know, like it's it's like it's it's spectacular. I was listening today, I was just like blown away, mostly because I just I really think it's influencing later turning point, which is like what like why have I never heard anyone mention that? Like, I don't come up with any like great ideas, you know, like what the fuck? Yeah. I don't really see the connection, but now I got to listen to, to both bands. I'll link Um, you the two songs that I'm thinking. Okay. You know, it would be at some point, somebody needs to uh, put out kind of a family tree and uh, connect dots like that. Yeah, a comp of like this goes into this, into this, into yeah. this. Yeah, I mean, Leeway would be a prime example. Chromex would be a prime example. Um, you know, the influence uh, influences they had, and then created something totally new. You know, um, well, we know there's a line going directly from Age of Coral to True Blue. Yeah, that's the easiest blue. branch I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, if there ever was a branch. <laughs> was there was there a woman playing bass in this band? Yes, on the demo, I believe. Yes, yeah, I, I saw the name Mildred on bass, yep. and I, I, yep. I thought that was interesting because this is, um, really great hard uh, stuff, and I think that's awesome that there was a woman uh, involved in the band. It's also very cool the um. You know the the members played in nausea and uh, you, you know MOD, which I absolutely despise MOD and and SOD, but it's just kind of cool. All the branches 
you know, just with him, uh, maximum penalty. Um, and and as someone you know who's around New York and lives in uh, upstate New York, is maximum penalty regarded a lot more within the NYHC scene than it than it seems to have been regarded outside, like by some of the lifers in that music scene. Uh, you know what? That's a good question. I think they are definitely a respected band. Um, you know, again, as far as the size of the band, um, I really think, um, they held themselves back. Um, I mean, life and times is a good example too. Uh, you know, the LP came out and everybody loved it. And we had a, uh, a tour all set up mm. and on the first or second date of the tour, the singer pulled a hamstring and, uh, you know, they had to cancel the tour. So they always kind of like had a bit of bad luck that would, um, I'd say keep them from, from, uh, you know, getting, uh, to the elevation they deserve to be, um, but I do think overall that, um, you know, people respect them a great deal and uh, definitely see them as a band that um, stands out. Um, yeah, I, I did Joe Harcourt's podcast and he was talking about putting them on a show with Bane and kind of thinking that was crazy and people walked away liking Maximum Penalty. And then, like, I was telling him, I was like, yeah, but if you listen to it, it's like, dude, it's not that dissimilar no, not from Bane, all. right? It's like a band with like groove and the singer's got pipes, you know, like that's actually like kind of a brilliant matchup. Yeah. And what is. about, what about the lyrics to all your boys? That's like one of the OG, like beat down songs. Like that is just, it's raw. Like, it's do you have a pulled up Dan? Yeah. Read it. Won't you listen to what I gotta say? I've seen this happen almost every day. People fighting in the streets with one another. After all, I thought we were brothers. Gang of kids just having fun. Fuck with me, boy. I got a gun. You think you're bad? Come mess with me. I'll beat you down and your whole posse. <laughs> yes. <laughs> the rules. Well, and he wasn't joking about the gun because nope. that's how he <laughs> went to prison. Fuck. Well, well, that and and uh, other things you're not supposed to have on you, but um, Jay- and jaywalking, yeah. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> yeah, that's also how the demo cover came about. Uh, you know, that's supposed to be Jimmy the singer with his uh, Uzi that he actually owned. <laughs> oh shit! So uh, yeah, that um. It's a crazy world we we live in, in and outside of hardcore. Yeah, I wanted to shoot Uzi so bad, and uh, you can do it in Vegas, like the, at the Las Vegas gun store. But like, I I didn't have enough money for like the higher package. I went there for a bachelor party once because you can shoot automatic weapons. Everyone wanted to do it, and like, I was like, "Fuck!" The lowest package is fifty bucks for fifty rounds, so I just got to shoot whatever like automatic gun there was. I was like, that was one of the funnest twenty seconds of my life. You know yeah. what I mean? But you had to spend like thir- like 300 bucks or something, and then you get to like do an AK and Uzi and something else. I was just like, come on, man. And I got yeah. that scratch for like this What shit. happened to strip clubs? 
<laughs> what happened that to where him? all the other money went oh yeah well s- <laughs> that that's for the patreon content but uh yeah i i'm not a fan of american strip clubs but viva tijuana what's up man Ugh, disgusting <laughs> <laughs> you set me up <laughs> not not the strip clubs um but uh that's one of the worst places i ever been to <laughs> tijuana yeah absolutely. oh man i love it i was there on uh this past monday Really? And uh, is if you know where to go, it's great. Like, w- what year would you have been there, Patrick? Uh, I went there with Terror, um, two thousand two, I think. Yes, yeah. yeah, it must have been. It was very early on in in their um, existence, and uh, all I can rem- all I recall is that um, they ate food from some food cart on a corner and all got sick. Um, and then the next thing I remember is, uh, some guy with a 12 year old girl pimping her out on, uh, on some, you know, like party strip. Um, and that that sounds terrible. Yeah, it was, I mean, it was absolutely terrible looking at this girl, you know, clearly being pimped out. Um, so. Well, it's, uh, it's a, it's a little better now. Here's the reason, right? They had a lot of trouble with the cartel stuff in the late, uh, the late aughts, like I think oh six, oh seven, oh eight, and it basically scared off all the Americans. And then instead of like building back to like cater to the the tourist Americans again that want to like you know buy a wristband, drink free beer and tequila all night, or like unlimited, they kind of built back for themselves. And there's like a lot of like artisan stuff that's going on. It's pretty cool. Like they have a whole street sexta, which is like all their little, like kind of like artisan bars. You know how like uh, I don't know, different cities have their microbrew culture. They kind of have that as well. Like it's cool. They build back for themselves. Just for tequila. Of, what's that? They have microbreweries for tequila. No, 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 for beer. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, tequila comes from Jalisco, different state. Ah. But yeah. Nah, well, I'll go back with you. Yeah, man. It's chill. I enjoy it. Like, you know, I eh, whatever. We'll, Again, we'll talk about your top ten favorite seven inches while on location in TJ. That's okay. right. That's I'll bring good. the whole rig. I'll bring the whole rig. Patrick, is there anything else you want to get into on the uh, pod? No, thanks for having me. It was fun. I uh I haven't spent much time uh, mentally with hardcore um, in recent times, so uh, so this was fun digging digging through my records and grabbing some stuff and actually listening to it, and it was fun. So uh, I'm I'm glad I had the chance to to chat with you too. I love the podcast. I'm a I'm a huge podcast fan, and actually, uh, Bosky and I agreed today that you guys are probably the top hardcore podcast right now. That's what's up, yeah, dude. I loved reading your list because it was so not pretentious, and it was just like, fuck yeah, this is someone that like doesn't give a fuck what people think, and it's just the shit he loves, and that's what I like. I wish people were honest with each other. You know, what I mean, it's a problem with like politics and everything is that people want to like play games. Just say what you're about so we know, and then we know if we want to fuck with you or not, 
right? And then it was also super fun to talk Trapped Under Ice, one of my favorite bands, and Maximum Penalty, like one of the biggest mindfuck bands at all, but like ever. But you're right, dude. So ahead of its time, so wild. Dan, final thoughts? Yeah, I'm just excited, even though, you know, we're talking about our list of 80s albums or 80s records. They're not necessarily albums. I'm interested in, even though it happened last week, but we're talking about it now, I'm interested in what Patrick's opinions of our lists are going to be. Yeah, we I might have to wait. circle back. I can't wait to find out. Um, we'll, we'll see. Yeah, man. <laughs> we're gonna get, we're gonna get ether by everyone. We know it. You know, we'll, we'll see. So. Well, I know, Dan, he, won't, I know he won't hold back. Uh, you can find me on Instagram at Southport Instagrammer. Patrick, where can the people find you if they if uh, if you want them to? Nowhere. They don't. They don't need to find me. I'll find them. <laughs> That's right. Uh, everyone, you can get at me one hundred eighty-five miles south of gmail.com. That's the best way. I respond to everyone. Also, one hundred eighty-five miles south on Instagram and uh, on Twitter. But sometimes I can't get back to everyone because the DMs get weird. I don't understand the way that works. So my bad. Also, I'm Zach Retaliate on Instagram, and you know, Retaliate is the best on Instagram. We'll talk to y'all soon. Thank you for the support.